This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Wednesday, October 13th, 2021, and my guest is the excellent John Porter of The Verge. Hi, John. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited to have you on. You know, I read your stuff and I feel like you've got a really cool different perspective because you're in the UK and you get to play with things we don't get to play, like the Fairphone 4, which mm-hmm. we touched on last week, but I want to get your thoughts on that for sure. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. I mean, we don't have too much to talk about in terms of news. It's been a pretty quiet week. I think next week's going to be the insanity, <laughs> right? With, uh, oh, yeah. I mean, between Pixel and Apple, I think it's going to keep us busy. Speaking of, let's start maybe with that. Apple finally uh, announced their second event for the fall, and that's yes. on the 18th, right? Yes, on, on the 18th, on the Monday, which uh, is quite unusual for Apple. Uh, I do wonder, I do have to wonder if it was originally intended for the 19th, and then they didn't want to step on Google's toes. You're right. Monday is odd. Hmm. Yeah, but I think you and I, well, it's, it's strange, because I imagine if Apple had just pulled the trigger and gone for Tuesday, I imagine most of the world would have paid attention to Apple over Google. So it almost seems like they're being quite polite by going for Monday, which seems <laughs> unlike Apple. But I think I think all of us in the tech world probably appreciate. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little bummed because I don't think I'm going to get a review unit in time for this announcement for Google. Mm. You know, I just saying that for my listeners. Usually I get included in the big Google stuff, but I think this year they're so they're getting so much attention with this Pixel 6 that's been so, you know, People, everybody's very excited about it, that I think that they don't have quite as many devices to send out, at least for second tier publications like this podcast. Well, it's always, it's always difficult to know, isn't it? And I think, you know, I think last year was a weird year because of because of the pandemic. And then this year is a weird year because you've got the pandemic, but then you've also got all the kind of the the, the wrinkle of, of the, the global chip shortage. And, you know, the, there's the news that even Apple's being affected by this stuff. So you have to imagine Google supplies yeah, yeah. probably seeing some impact as well. So I, I, I don't know. I It will be really interesting to see you know, when these devices actually start shipping to consumers in what numbers and whether, you know, that kind of slightly smaller manufacturer in the form of Google is going to kind of see those supply constraints right. that, that, ev- that are even hitting Apple. Yeah, I'm really just purely speculating because we're just a week away now and I have not heard from Google officially yet. So um, I know that I'm on their press list. Um, they've confirmed that I'm on their press list. So Either they're going to be making this announcement and then sending us devices to review, or you know they're seeding some review units to some publications, which I presume would be top tier, and we'll find out, uh, we'll get some reviews on the day of. I don't know, but I just want my audience to know that there is a possibility I might not be like normal in the very first tier, because Google's generally pretty good at getting me devices in. Uh, in time. So don't get too panicked. There's no point in me, you know, making a fuss about it. I will get my hands on one at some point. It'll be my daily driver because I've been waiting for a flagship. I mean, how do you feel about this, John? This is a tangent. We don't have it but on the list here, but I want to talk about it. Like the pixel strategy in the last two years, just so bizarre. Oh, I mean, 
I, I, I like I, I get criticized because I, I for the past two years have written the same piece after each Google event, which is the Google keeps on adding the features that the previous year it said it didn't need. So <laughs> yes. like when it, when it was the Pixel 3, they kind of said, oh, there are all these these two camera two dual uh, camera smartphones coming out. We don't think we need to do that. We've got enough computational photography stuff in there. The next year, of course, they then added it. But then they went up on stage and said, we think a telephoto is much more important than ultra wide. And then the next year, what do they do? They add a telephoto. So I feel like with Google, like every single year is this kind of zigzagging in, in in focus and i think they kind of haven't they haven't found that that winning that mainstream winning formula like yeah i know they're they're really popular phones for enthusiasts especially when their cameras were so much better than the competition um so i think the i think the pixel 6 is is another zag after uh the pixel 5 which was a zig of kind of going slightly more in a, in a mid-range direction but I, I can't wait to see what what that what that tensor processor is capable of, really. Yeah, I just I'm just excited that they look like they're gonna be really seriously coming out with a flagship again. Which is yeah. I think we really haven't gotten that since I would say the Pixel 2. The three was close, but you know, that bathtub notch, like it just seems so out of place. Uh, that nobody stopped that and said, wait a minute, like this is yeah. ridiculous, right? <laughs> oh, and I mean, there are some people that hate the design of the Pixel 6 already, just based on just based on the images that, that Google have put out there. But I've said, I love that. I love the camera bar. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I'm, Exactly. There are so like, you you have the, the square camera bumps, you have the, I, well, I guess, like, not not uh, oval camera bumps, I suppose. The majority of phones, yeah, triangular now with the Fairphone four. Triangular with, with the Fairphone. Uh-huh. Obviously, Huawei kind of had the the big circles in in the middle for a while there, and I just think no, no one's no one's done the bar. You know, yeah. It's, yeah. it was time. It's time for someone I mean, to do the camera bar. It's a head nod, uh, like a nod. I mean, to the you know, the 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 Nexus six S or whatever it was. Remember right. that that like the the one made by Huawei that had that that horizontal thing in the back. Look, I'm mostly excited. This is like that they look looks like they're putting everything in there that you can, and they're not trying to reinvent the wheel because that's the problem. After the Pixel Three, we got the Four, and the Four was a great phone, but how could they not put an ultra wide on that thing? Like mm. and and then and then justify it on stage, which was even worse. I was in New York for that, and then. The the whole Soli radar thing and the fact that, you know, Apple made a very smooth transition to Face ID because none of the developers had to change anything. It You know, if you had an app that was fingerprint ready, it would just work with the Face ID. But that wasn't the case for Android. And a big majority of my financial apps are, you know, fingerprint protected and they just didn't work with the face ID on the Google, on the Pixel 4. And so I, I didn't want to have to type pins every time and stuff. And and it just made me, it just put me off of the 4, the, that and the lack of, of ultra wide. And then yeah. the 5 was a great phone, but it was mid-range. And for the money, I was just like, might as well buy a 4A. But mm. then, oh, sorry, the 4A 5G, I should say. But the 4A 5G doesn't have wireless charging. And so that makes me, for me, that's a big deal. And then, you know, the 5A this year, I just reviewed and it's freaking amazing this phone you know it's one of those phones where you feel like uh oh look it doesn't look like anything you know it's not that exciting and then you start using it and it's just so rewarding so Mm. well put together so smooth so everything and so put all that but better hardware without trying to reinvent the wheel give us those three cameras finally a multi-megapixel camera sensor for the main camera some 
proper telephoto action, not like anything better than 2x for me is proper telephoto. It has to be at least 3x. Mm -hmm. And OIS and everything. Like this is what needs to happen, especially now that OnePlus is kind of gone opified and gone more mainstream, right? Yeah, I I think I think you're right. I think Google's found a really nice spot in that mid-range segment where it I I I would argue it it produces a really nice default smartphone. You know, you you want a a smartphone that just does smartphone stuff. Um and it does all that really well and it kind of hangs really nicely together. But I don't think it has that much character. You know, I, no. I think uh, like it, it looks very, very similar to a lot of other phones. And obviously, because it's so stock Android, it it feels very similar to a lot of Android phones. And I think what's exciting about the Pixel 6 is that you kind of can't have you can't you can't have a flagship smartphone that doesn't have character. And from just looking at that thing, that's what it has. It's it's you know, it's just the design language of it is so is so unique. And I kind of I, I just really hope that Google can actually like stick the landing on this you know yeah me too and you know the other thing that's got me excited about it is that it's got that galaxy note squarish you know all screen design like just no bezel like that's that's what a flagship needs to look like you know mm. you know and we're going to talk about the moto edge 2021 in a second um we've already covered it on the in initial announcement but this is the verizon version and that phone is the, in, the complete opposite of that. It's like a plastic bodied phone with massive bezels. And you're like, it looks so cheap. Like, yeah. what were they thinking? And I think, you know, I like that the, the at least what we've seen so far, the Pixel 6 and 6 Pro is like, oh, yeah, like this looks expensive. You know, like this looks like they're not messing about this year. Mm, that's it. I I do I, I have to say I, I I love the design language of the of the recent iPhones. Well like the the one they the design language they chose with the 12 and then continued with the 13. I just I love a slightly just more squared off design. I Me think too. just I think I think it's perfect. And you know we had a few years of of kind of screens that rolled off the edges of phones and we all had our fun but I think when that started appearing on mid-range phones and when it was no longer that that premium signifier, I think most people looked at it and kind of went like, oh, actually, functionally, this isn't really useful at all. Exactly. And kudos to, to Motorola for really trying to make it useful last year and kind of trying to find excuses to have a screen that goes around the edge of the device. But, you know, when even Motorola is releasing a phone called the Edge that doesn't have an Edge screen. Yeah, but it's even worse than that. <laughs> and before we dive in, I just want to mention, since we just talked about the Pixel 6 and 6 Pro, that obviously there's a rumor here that's really interesting, which is a rumor around a Google Pixel Pass. And, uh, you know, uh, Apple has what? Is it called Apple One? What is it called? Uh, that is, yeah, that's so they have Apple One and then they also have the iPhone upgrade program. And Pixel Pass kind of seems to be cherry picking a little bit from both. Yeah. So I, I you know, we're all going to tune in next week and, you know, salivate at this new Pixel. But keep in mind that there's an ecosystem play here. You can't really just make good hardware nowadays. You need to have some sort of subscription-based revenue stream. We're even seeing this in car tech. You know, I cover cars for Tech Radar and, you know, it's the same thing. Like subscription-based add-ons basically are going to become a thing for everything, for better or for worse, right? But hmm. at the same time, if you get a base tier that's free, you know, like Google Photos is a good example of that. You know, like I think it's a pretty reasonable uh, initial 
cheer that you get. And then, yeah, eventually you're going to run out of space and that's kind of like how they get you. But but you can manage that. Like I have not run out of space yet and I'm still like on not on a non-paid setup. So I think it's possible to manage it if you know what you're doing, right? So no, I, I, I completely agree. I mean, I have to say I, I'm one of these suckers that initially got Google Photos and then ran out of space and went, oh, okay, well, I, you know, I only really need one cloud storage service. Google Photos is probably good enough that I could just make that be Google Drive. So now I think I just pay for uh 200 gigs of of google okay. drive storage um but now now it's fine now i just i never have to worry right. about the, the photos thing and it works across platform and it does everything i need it to and the search stuff is really good i know it's amazing you know? and and for po- for folks like you and me who review a phone a week literally almost it's like it's so easy to just turn on the backup and everything just ends up in the cloud and like, you know, you don't have to worry about, oh, did I left, leave that phone on this trip and now I need to upload the photos for the review, you know? They're all there. So you just, yeah. it's 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 great. I really love my Google Photos. Um, <laughs> the, the, the one, the thing I use, well, no, I don't use it for this the most, but um, I love the fact that there's this one photo when I used to work at Tech Radar, um, when I showed up to work in a bright yellow jumper. And another guy on staff also showed up in exactly the same outfit. Oh my god! And so, and so there's this one photo of us, uh, just like looking completely miserable, standing next to each other in completely the same outfit. And <laughs> I can type into Google Photos "yellow," and that will be amongst the kind of two dozen or so pictures that comes up. And I just, I will be forever thankful for Google Photos for <laughs> keeping that one memory easily accessible for me. That's awesome. So yeah, so <laughs> folks, you know, keep an eye out for next week's. Pixel 6 News, I will be covering it on the show for sure. Whether I get a phone or not, we'll find out, and how soon we'll find out. But uh, also keep an eye out for anything else that you know Google kind of throws in there, um, either for free or as an add-on, like this, this suggested Pixel Pass. I personally might seriously consider uh, a subscription to even some hardware. Um, but the, the, the challenge for that is, as we just talked about, Pixel hasn't been consistent enough in its hardware. They've been a little all over the place. But if they start, you know, I think the biggest problem is that they haven't continued to be consistently evolving a product. They've just tried to shoot in the dark and see what lands. And, you know, when you're Samsung, you can do that at the same time as have your S series. You can have your notes and your folds, right? But when you're Google, you really need uh, some sort of baseline. And I feel like their baseline has been the A series in many ways because that's mm. consistently been the same thing, um, but just evolving it. And they're because they're refining it every year, it actually starting to be better than just an evolution. It's actually kind of exponentially getting better, but they haven't been able to get exponential with the the flagship products because they haven't been able to do that because they've tried too many different things. So I'm a little, you know, my gut wants to hold back a little bit on paying for a hardware subscription with Google because I'm like, will they mess up the seven, right? Like, um, hopefully they won't. And I think this goes, this is a perfect segue to talk about this Moto Edge. I, the phone is irrelevant, really. It's the, it's more like let's talk about Moto and how they're completely looking at short term instead of long term. Like they finally gave us a flagship with the Edge Plus, and they detuned it a little bit for the Edge. Fair enough, but then they made the mistake. Uh, I'm sure you'll agree to make an exclusive with Verizon, and I know they're always in bed with Verizon and do all tons of exclusive, but it's it's always the end of them. First of all, anybody who partners with Verizon regrets it. We all know that. And at this point, it feels like Stockholm syndrome to me. You know, it's like they can't part, not partner with Verizon. 
so they do kind of thing but then it it never makes products that are mainstream because they're only available through one US operator um but the edge plus last year was a genuinely solid like you know all the spec thrown in kind of phone with all the premium materials and everything and while it has some flaws the biggest flaw was this Verizon exclusivity if they could have I, I think they didn't sell many. I think it was a disappointment for them. I think they had some issues with screen quality and other things, and their camera software is always a mess, uh, at least in terms of the imaging pipeline. But all that could be fixed if instead of going to do what they did this year, like a plastic mid-range, nothing to do with edge phone, they could have just dug in and said, we're going to refine what we did with the Edge Plus last year. We're going to, even though I prefer flat screens, I would have accepted them continuing on with an Edge display and like kind of dug in and gone, okay, we fixed this and we fixed that and we made this better. And now we're on T-Mobile, AT&T and Verizon uh, because the carrier tie-ins do matter in this country at least because, well, I'm in Germany right now, but in the US because it's people, you know, that's how people shop and they get good deals because of it. So I understand that. But if you can't, you know, like that's what Google did. They didn't evolve from year to year. They just tried different stuff. And, and that's not how you go forward. And maybe Moto doesn't want to go forward. Maybe Moto wants to stay mid-range G-series all the way, right? Or Moto 1 series. I don't get it. I just don't understand this strategy. And maybe Lenovo is driving that. I mean, what's your what's your thought on this? Well, I mean, I, I have to say that um, the, the carrier exclusivity angle in the US absolutely baffles me. That there's not a phone that I am aware of. I mean, and, and this, there may have been, you know, smaller mid-range or, or budget phone releases. But nothing that I know of has ever been carrier exclusive in the UK in the same way. Um and so I, I would, I would kind of actually love, love to turn that that question around and kind of go like, what is it about the U.S. market that means that carriers have this kind of stranglehold over over phone distribution? Yeah, is it is it the case that their networks are so different that it's it's harder to produce a truly unlocked device? Or I like what 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 is it that allows Verizon to turn around to a big company like Motorola and go like, no, 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 it's our way or the highway. I think it's because Moto just doesn't have the cloud of a Samsung, an Apple, or a Google. Even Google, even Google gets messed around by Verizon because, as you know, Google does not usually sell the Pixels on anything but Verizon. There was a time when I think the Pixel made it to AT and T and maybe T Mobile at one point, but that those days are over. It's pretty much only Verizon now, and and I think it's you have to be super big. Number one, number two. Moto is in a particular position because Moto, Qualcomm, and Verizon have been business partners for decades. I mean, CDMA 2000, our janky, you know, pseudo 3G technology that was proprietary to the US that was meant to compete with GSM, uh, 2G, you know, Edge and, and GPRS, um, was created as an anti-competitive technology by Qualcomm, let's be real here, and, and pushed hard by the carriers at the time, Verizon and Sprint. Um, and, and, and Moto was kind of like the, 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 the funnel of turning that into a device, right? Using Qualcomm's technology and using Verizon as the, you know, and Sprint as the operators. And, and that dates from 30 years ago. We're talking mid-90s. And 
and because of that, they have a very unique relationship. But I really would have thought that was Lenovo that they would have put their foot down and said, you know, we have no like we're popular in the mid range. We sell tons of unlocked, which is tons of prepaid, um, and we're not exclusive on the prepaid. So why the hell should we be exclusive on the high end, right? And and I don't think they have the balls, <laughs> frankly. Mm. I I just I just feel like you know there's a lot of you know we we talk about this all the time the verge covers this stuff so extensively you know the 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 kind of like bro mentality of tech culture you know but it, it predates the dot com and the current era of mobile like you know that there's like these gentlemen's agreement in the industry that exists that are as old as you know stone age in terms of phone tech world that are hard to break and i think we're we're seeing the kind of after effects of that still today. So Moto is a bit of a special case. But mm. if you look even at OnePlus, OnePlus did briefly Verizon, but it was on Verizon's term. They took the OnePlus 8 and created a separate new chassis to incorporate millimeter wave. You couldn't use the same cases. And the phone was a flop for both OnePlus and Verizon. And right now, the only partnership OnePlus really has is T-Mobile and, of course, the subsidiary uh, Metro by T-Mobile, right? And mm-hmm. and that's it. Like, But the fact that AT&T has not picked up a T-Mobile phone to uh, – sorry, a OnePlus phone to me is just insane. Like, it is – if you talk to an Android user in the U.S. right now, you know, it's really – even a phone user, it's like anybody who covers phones understands that there's really three brands that matter, Apple, Samsung, and OnePlus in the US. Yes. And, and the fact that OnePlus is only available through one carrier tells you how hard it is to break into that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really, um, I mean, it's, it's, it, you know, it's, it's very unfortunate that the, the, it's, that feels like part of the reason why OnePlus has kind of gone in that in that mid-range direction because it definitely feels as though its mid-range phones have kind of started to get that that purchase in the US market in a way that its flagships kind of haven't. Yeah. And so it, it's kind of it it does feel like US carriers kind of kind of look at the the flagship market as a as a duopoly and it's only really when it comes to the mid-range segment where they're will, even willing to think about the prospect of other phone companies existing. And I would argue that OnePlus one of its primary markets is the U.S. because it's essentially BBK for the U.S., right? There's no, it's, if Oppo could exist in the U.S., we would have Oppo, but instead we have OnePlus. So I think what's happening here is, you know, the, if you look at the reason the OnePlus 9 is made of plastic this year and has no OIS, and the OnePlus 9 Pro is a no-compromise phone for, for this BBK sub-brand, but you also see what the Nord 2 brings to the table in the rest of the world. I have a review in it. It is so good, that phone. Like, the camera has OIS. You know, the thing is just so well kind of put together as a whole, as a package, just like the original Nord was. And the reason we don't get that is because they would step on the toes of the carriers, the one carrier, T-Mobile, that specifically, I think the, the 9 was decontented with the OIS removed and the plastic body and the wireless charging added, which is a US-specific feature or at least Western market-specific feature because it was dictated by the... Because OnePlus is finally at the stage where they have to play ball with the carriers. And it's unfortunate because we all know that if you had to pick between the OnePlus 9 and the Nord 2, you'd pick the Nord 2. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. Every day. 
right? And it's it it does it does feel like this. I mean, you know, definitely. I think most outside observers would look at OnePlus and go, something is different here. Something has something has changed over over the past two years. And I think it is this kind of like OnePlus. From my like my impression at least was that OnePlus tried to play hardball. It tried to kind of do things its own way in the US. Yeah, and that maybe what's changed in the past two years, it's kind of like put its tail between its legs and gone like. Okay, Verizon. Like, what? Like, what do you want us to do with the phone? And Verizon's like, we want to do this, this, and this. And Wobble's like, oh, okay. But it seems to have kind of lost what what I think a lot of people liked about OnePlus in 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 the earlier days. It kind of compromised it slightly. But I think it started, you know, probably a year before that when they decided to make this opification actually happen. And I know that we all looked at it as reporters, as people following this closely, and saw it coming before it was even made in public like we started seeing too many similarities whereas before there were some but it wasn't as blatant and then of course they made it official and then you know they dug in deeper and deeper now they're merged together the software is merged i don't personally have a problem with all of this i just feel that it's OnePlus just growing up, you know, and 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 but because of that, it's so much more excited to see what the Pixel Six is going to be, and and also because of that, we're seeing this N series of OnePlus phones, which is N for North America. They are literally custom made for this to basically kill the Moto G, mm. and and it's working. Like they are so much better than the Moto G series for you know more affordable, better spec, and they bring i have to admit even though it's not what i want and it's not remotely as good as even a oneplus you know nord or something or nine or whatever they still bring to the table a lot of goodness like that oxygen os you you kind of have that vibe of oneplus infused into it mm. and it like the, the n200 that i recently reviewed is a delightful phone for the 200 dollars it costs you know and I, I I can't say that it's a bad phone. I can't I peop, I recommend it to people because I'm like if you can't get a better phone, like the Nokia's are overpriced and underspecced, the motors are overpriced and underspecked, but this thing is, you know, the closest we're ever gonna get to a Xiaomi or Redmi or Realme or a, you know, uh whatever it is we can get in, in Europe or in Asia, right? Um and that's special, even though it's mostly geared at the pre prepaid market you know mm, yeah no i, I agree I, I unfortunately i haven't been able to use it, any of the any of the kind of the u.s specific nords um but like de- definitely like the, the the nord and then the nord 2 uh i think that the thing at the time of the original nord was was that again that 90 hertz screen just kind of did so much to kind of make this modestly specced phone feel a lot more premium than mm-hmm. maybe it's 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 kind of it, its specs would it would internal specs at least would would lead you to believe and just so so nicely designed a really like lovely object um it is a shame that they that they dropped the ultra wide selfie camera on on the nord 2 that that For was sure. kind of that that's like, and i i'm speaking as someone that used the the pixel 3 as my primary phone oh, for 2 yeah, years oh yeah yeah me too uh and uh and it's, it's just like it's it's that kind of feature that you maybe use once every 2 months but that one time when you need to take a big kind of group selfie and it's there and you kind of go like you know what this phone was a good choice. I'm very glad. I'm glad yeah. that it has this this one quite small and inconsequential feature. But we got stereo speakers this time. So, you know, yeah. it's, it Swings balances out. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, but but if I had to quickly, I'm actually writing a review and I'm a little behind because the embargo lifted a couple of days ago. 
that's also because I'm in Germany for Porsche covering something for Tech Radar here. Uh, I mean, you know, I can't complain about being at, in Germany for a Porsche visit. At the same no, time, um, I'm a little behind on my review, but but stay tuned. I'll, I'm reviewing it for Geekspin, and uh, I should be up before the weekend because if it isn't, that we're screwed with next week. So I'm going to really try hard to finish it up. But my <laughs> takeaway is this. Um, again, they announced this phone as an unlocked phone uh, with sub-6 5G only. Uh, for a list price of $700 with a, a on sale for $500 for the first two weeks. And at $500, I think that phone's fine. It's not, you know, it's not spectacular. I would still recommend for $450, buy a Pixel 5a, 5G all day long, right? But if you're looking for a bigger screen phone and somehow you have some affinity for Moto, it wasn't a bad choice. But for $700, absolutely not. And so... Verizon's coming along and they've modified it a little bit by adding millimeter wave and it's 550. I would still recommend you go buy a Pixel 5a 5G and put a Verizon SIM in it and forget about millimeter wave. But if you must, absolutely, or maybe you can get a super good deal or like buy one, get one free or something. If you must buy this phone, just be aware that it's a shadow of the edge that we knew. Like not only does it not have an edge anymore, and, and you want to hear this, John? This is what Moto PR literally told me. They're like, well, but it's bleeding edge. And I'm like, what is bleeding edge about it again? It has no OIS. And they're like, well, it has no AMOLED. I'm like, when, and they're like, well, it has 144 hertz display. And it, and, it has, and it has 108 megapixel camera. And I'm like, you made the ultra wide 8 versus 16 megapixels. You decontented so much stuff. It's, it's crap. Right. The, 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 this is what I what I wanted to, to kind of bring up, and like uh, to be clear, I haven't used this phone myself, so I am kind of basing this on reviews and, and the spec sheet. But so much of that spec sheet seems to kind of want to dazzle you with the big number up front, mm-hmm. and then kind of hide the smaller number behind it. So it's kind of got that 108 megapixel main camera, and then a, a two megapixel depth sensor and an eight megapixel ultra wide. Absolutely, and that two megapixel is what I call a sticker cam. It doesn't need to exist. It could be a sticker. Like because the macro on this is done through the ultra wide, which which I have to give them credit has autofocus, which is cool. But the ultra wide is so much worse than last year's ultra wide. It doesn't have night mode, so it's kind of just useless. And you know, 108 megapixel without OIS, like it falls apart in low light immediately. I would love to be in the product development meeting where they talk about how many cameras to include right. and to and to hear the argument that gets made in that room for including a crappy little 2 megapixel depth sensor i would just i would love to know what they what they think they're doing and they, you know it's a similar thing i, I mean I, I haven't um heard your thoughts on this so i'd be quite curious to know what you think but the the monochrome cameras that oneplus has started oh yeah that was phones, the same thing what's going on there <laughs> like my theory, my, the cynical person in me says that they're not they're not connected to anything. They don't do anything. There's camera modules they have on the sh- on the part shelf, you know, at BBK, and just put them in there. Um, but I kind of want to also believe that maybe it adds some data to the ISP for something. But at the same time, as I said, I call them sticker cams because they might as well just put a sticker back there and just to have the same effect. And I, I, I would, I would understand it more. Like, and this is, this is the, the monochromatic camera specifically. I would understand it more if, if the software made a bigger deal out of it. You know, if, if it was one of the, the main camera modes at the bottom of, of, of the, the, the phone app. But the fact that you have to go into filters and you scroll right to the end, I know. and then right there, right at the end, is the 
only ca- the only toggle for an entire camera on the back of the phone. It's like baffling. I don't I understand. It's like maybe that's why like we needed to justify its existence. So here's here's like buried deep in the menus. But in this case, there's nothing to indicate that it even does anything. Like I can't prove that it's being used for anything. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that you know, here this is the other thing you have to know, John. It's crazy, it's crazier than you think. So the display is 144 hertz. I could see that maybe you could make an argument for gaming or something. Because it does have a Snapdragon 778G, which should be okay for gaming. But here's the kicker. The display settings has a 60 hertz only mode and a 144 hertz only mode. And then it has an auto mode, right? What does the auto mode scale between? I would hope. 60 and 120 hertz dynamically. So when you put it in auto, you never get the 144 hertz benefit and it's stuck to auto by default. So they're selling a feature that you have to manually select. And as you know, because it's to- it toggles it at 144 permanently, it's going to make your battery, it's going to have some impact on your battery. Uh, so if I were Motorola and Motorola, if you're listening, you can have this advice for free. I would have marketed this phone as a 120 hertz phone. And then I would have put in a menu setting saying, do you want to overclock your display? That would this, have been this display cool. will go to it. Yeah. And then people go like, oh yeah, 144 hertz. And the Motorola goes, it's not officially supported. It might harm battery life. We recommend 120. Because I think most people would go 120 hertz display. Yeah, that's neat. Cool. I'll like, that's great. But the fact that it's being advertised as 144 hertz, I, yeah, not, not great. And then, you know, you can do it, but it's like a setting and it's it's fixed at that rate and it's gonna harm your 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 battery performance and and then the bezels on that thing john are like you, you know the nokias how like there's literally a chin and at one point they are literally writing nokia on them mm-hmm. it's it's like that so if <laughs> you take if you take one of the moto g phones with the same size display a 1080p panel ips or i assume it's ips or ltps or whatever LCD, and you put it side by side with this $700 discount to $500 and available to, on $550 from Verizon phone, you cannot tell them apart from the front. This looks like a cheap $200 phone all day long from the front because of that massive chin and the big bezels. And whereas the Edge, I, I, I went back and had to look at the photos of my Moto Edge review last year to realize I feel like we're looking at a Pixel 6, you know, like the, no bezel, all screen, all rectangular, all gorgeous AMOLED. And I just don't know what they were thinking. Like, and then, you know, it's all plastic. It's a sea of plastic and it feels so cheap. And the fingerprints are everywhere instantly because they try to be fancy and it's got that super shiny finish, you know. And and nobody's ever going to put look at it because they're going to put it in the case and... It's just like, why? Like, so you, I guess you could make the argument and why, Miriam, should it be aluminum and glass like last year? Well, because it, it, it wouldn't feel as cheap. You know, if you, don't, if you don't use a case, then you could at least enjoy this really nice hand feel, right? Hmm. So I don't know. I, I, yeah, it, it, it's tricky to think because, I mean, the, the way I, I personally think about the flagship phone market is you you need a thing, you know, you need a thing that you can, you can go, oh, you know, Samsung's phones always have like, whatever, whatever you used to say about them, they always have the nicest displays. Um, I mean, iPhones are their own thing, obviously. Right. Um, OnePlus always wants to be the speediest phone. Pixels mm-hmm. always traditionally had the best camera. Right. And so it's, it's, 
it's like Motorola doesn't have its thing. You know, it doesn't have its thing that it can go, oh, well, you know, we've had an off year and you know, maybe this isn't as premium as we wanted it to be and the back's plastic and stuff, but we've still got the Motorola thing that everyone loves. And and I think once you once you don't have that thing, it's it's kind of like, well, you know, you can basically compromise on everything. And it sounds like they have. I mean, this should be a Model 1 of some kind. And um and at the edge, that's the other thing. The edge naming just doesn't work. And then, you know, continuing the list, last year there was headphone jack and micro SD. This year you don't get that. Last year the Edge Plus, which was a more premium version, granted, had wireless charging. You get none of that. Um, you do get 30-watt wire charging, which is an improvement over the 18-watt from last year. But the only thing this phone is really good at is battery life. It is a 5,000 milliamp hour. And I have to say, even running it on the auto mode and just beating the crap out of it, I have managed to last two days, no problem with this. Wow. One. So that is kudos because that last year's Edge was not like that. But if Moto, generally speaking, has done very good, a very good job with battery. Mm -hmm. So the question becomes, yeah, so it's no different than any other Moto phone at this point. And and I just don't see any differentiator. There's no sexiness. There's no nothing stands out except for like the marketing 144 and the marketing 108, because mm. you know it's a 0.7 micron 108 sensor, not a 0.8 micron. So we know it's not one of the higher end ones, and no OIS, and it falls apart in low light. It's very good in daytime. I have to say it's definitely one of the better Moto cameras I've used recently. But it's not you know again Pixel 5a for fifty dollars less. Or $100, if you look at the Verizon version, is just a much better phone. Period. Yeah, it's, and camera. It's, yeah, exactly. I think, um, you know, when you're, the, when you're this Motorola thing and, and you don't, you know, when it's not even, you, you can't even kind of get bonus points for it just being a nice feeling device, you know, that there's no, oh, you can like put up with X because it has Y. You know, there, there's there's not there's not a single redeeming thing there that you're like, oh, like all the other things are worth putting up with because at least it has this. Um, and like just looking at it, I just I just don't see that anywhere. It's definitely one of those disappointing phones. <laughs> and when we were shown the unlocked version, the crazy seven hundred dollar one, which by the way was five hundred dollars for the first two weeks, but now that Verizon's got theirs out, it's seven hundred dollars again. Um, that phone, I I was at the briefing in New York and everything. They dined and dined us, took us to Yankee Stadium for a baseball game, but wow. didn't give us review units to take photos with after spending an hour briefing us on how great the camera was. Total miss, right? Like you, mm. we were all expecting we're going to get a box now with a phone so we can take photos of the baseball game with that great camera you just talked about. None of that happened. Um, but they are basically, I told them, I said, you know, I don't understand this naming. I don't understand the the choices you made in terms of features. They're like, oh, it's all driven by our, you know, listening to our customers and what they want and their needs. And in this COVID time, you know, we're learning that a camera and the display uh, refresh, like for playing games and the and the battery is the most important thing. And I'm like, well, some of that's true, but, you know, like now that I know that the display settings kind of are, you know, a bit of a kind of cheating. It's kind of like when Samsung had the 120 hertz, but you couldn't do 4K, uh, sorry, 2K, <laughs> you had to do one or the other. It's 
disingenuous, you know. I I, uh, I I do love the kind of oh well, like it, it, you know, during a pandemic, we think that the tastes have changed. Uh, excuse, because you could kind of it's it, it a lot. I think a lot of companies use it as a get out of jail free card. Mm-hmm. They, they, it's kind of their excuse of going. Oh well, you know, we know you've been covering phones for a long time, but like you have to understand the rules of the game have changed and you can no longer criticize us for the things that you used to criticize us for. It's like what rules of the game? What did you just make up? <laughs> exactly. I mean, like, particularly like saying, oh well, the pandemic means that battery life is more important. No. No, like, you're at home. If, all if you're at home time. all the time, yeah, put like a one thousand milliamp hour battery. Like that's uh, you know, and, and like a, a, a an OLED screen, because you're gonna be actually doing more media consumption on this thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's something about that smells fishy to me. Yeah, it's a whole thing is fishy. Moving on though, I want to quickly talk about your Fairphone 4 review. You know, that phone to me looks really good. Like, I mean, finally a Fairphone that I feel like, hmm, maybe I would want that. And you know, I would pay the premium knowing that I'm making a difference. The only thing that's stopping me from getting super excited about that phone were two things. The first one was kind of a gut thing, and it was like this teardrop notch LCD display. I'm like, that looks old and, you know, kind of clunky. Mm. And um, Matteo on my show last week, we talked about that. And he said, you know, it's really hard to make an OLED that's interchangeable, that they can easily be replaced. And, okay. and I'm like, okay, that's fair. But still, maybe do a hole punch, then it looks a little more modern, right? But my second thing is from your review, which is that those twin 48 megapixel cameras look okay on paper, but uh, don't really perform that well, which is a bummer. Yeah, it, I mean, uh, so the, the, the statement I got from I got from Fairphone was that they're, they're hoping to tweak and improve it uh, over uh, a few monthly software updates, okay. uh, which is obviously a, a thing we hear from a lot of companies, <laughs> yeah. and you kind of can't you can't take it at face value. Nope. But um, <laughs> like, I, but you're absolutely right that you know that there's something there's something that doesn't match up between the specs of those cameras and and the photos that I, that I got out of the phone. Um, so I am kind of hoping to keep an eye on on those on those first couple of couple of months the impression i get is that you know that they they've been intending for this launch to be uh but back in uh early early september late august it, it was pushed back uh i gather that you know this is a company of 95 people or so right um so they're not you know the highest priority for chip vendors and so maybe stuff got delayed maybe they didn't get enough time with the final hardware to to tweak and 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 you know make get stuff get stuff ready for for launch um so i i'm kind of i i am obviously skeptical and ultimately i could only review the, the phone that was in front of me right. but i think in, in a kind of couple of months post-release um it's something i kind of i hope to check in on because i think you and i can kind of both agree that this is a company we want to see succeed 100%. this is a good thing i want to see Fairphone have loads of success i want to see them have you know, get get the budget to do more and more and more with these phones. Um, because I think ultimately these phones probably aren't for 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 you or I. That they're for that the kind of person that uses a phone. And I'm, I'm sure you 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 have friends like this as well who will use a phone for four years and then be absolutely outraged when they can't get it repaired. Right. Which I think, which I think <laughs> for you or I is like, uh, oh well, like obviously that's just the way the phone industry works. But yeah, you know, for a lot of people out there, they they genuinely expect that it to be the case and and i think and i think fairphone trying to make good on that promise of i mean they're going to have spare parts until 2027 is, is what they're hoping but like ideally even longer um i think that's that's a company that that deserves to exist and i th- i think uh i definitely i definitely want to see succeed yeah yeah i agree i think it's exciting what they're doing i think that it's not for me but i feel like 
I want to support that because, you know, yes, you pay a premium, but you're making a difference, right? Like there is, and, and it's also, they're really thinking this through. Like they're not just kind of like, it's not just marketing. Like, you know, it's mm. engineering wise, very interesting and challenging what they're doing. And I think that got me excited because they're not faking it. You know, they're yeah. just doing something that's, they really truly believe in. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, yeah, I, I watched uh, Linus Tech Tips that did a great video on it earlier this week and he kind of got it out and he was like, oh, is this like IP rated? Oh, it's only IP54, <laughs> uh, which, yes, if you're used to IP68, you know, I appreciate sounds like a step down, but you can take the back of that phone off with one hand, you know, and the yeah. fact that it, it is IP dust and water resistant at all. I think is, is astonishing. You know, like uh, over the course of my review, I, I went on holiday to, to Wales, which is a famously rainy part of, of, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, of the UK, took it on a walk. It was absolutely fine. It held up magnificently. You know, an IP rating is it's the kind of thing uh, us as tech reviewers, you kind of, it's very difficult to test mm-hmm. um, without Go, going too far and, and breaking an expensive uh, review sample. So, you know, like you won't find tech reviewers throwing phones into baths and stuff. Um, but it was really nice kind of having that really rainy walk to, you know, I, I feel very confident saying if it survived that rainstorm, it will survive most, most rainstorms. And so... Yeah, you know, this stuff is is not is not easy, and but they're but they're they're doing it. You know that they're on their their fourth phone now, and you know the considering the the jump that they made. Yeah, between, it's huge. And, yeah, and like you made the point that the that the 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 front of the Fairphone four does look you know does look a little bit budget. It's got those huge bezels. It's got the the teardrop notch and stuff. But man, compared to the Fairphone three, that like iPhone five looking thing. Mm-hmm. Um, AI, it's 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 incredible what they've achieved. Yeah, no, I feel it's pretty exciting. I will link to your review, of course. Um, Thank you. And then there's a couple of other Verge reviews I want to kind of put on people's radar. Uh, Microsoft Surface Laptop Studio review came out last week. I could have probably covered it in last week's podcast, but somehow I kind of forgot about it. It's the, you know, other than the Duo, which we covered extensively on the show for a couple of uh, podcasts in a row, the this is the one product that they came out with at that event that I was intrigued by. So seeing the review by Dan is very cool. And uh, I don't want to elaborate too much yet. It's more like a PSA to the audience to go check out the link in the show notes. You know, I think it's interesting. I'm not sure it's right for me, but... The industrial design on that thing is really cool, right? Wouldn't you say? I, I think it's a it's a lovely object that I wish I had a use for. Is, yes. is, is what I will say about that that laptop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think for some folks that I know that are using, you know, um, not Final Cut basically <laughs> to do video editing, a lot of my creator friends, you know, that had a uh, Surface. Uh, what was it? Uh, the detachable tablet one. Not the mm. not the Surface Pro, the Surface. Um, uh, was, it, was it was it just called the, the the Microsoft Surface? Was that the original? No, the, was it Surface Book or Surface? What was it? Can't remember. Yeah, you know I the one I'm right. talking I, about. I, it looks yeah, like a yeah, laptop. The... It doesn't, you know. Yeah. Anyway, that that a lot of them use that for video editing, and mm. I think this could be the the kind of the. You know, you buy that or you buy a Razer laptop to do your video editing if you're, you know, using Resolve or or Premiere Pro, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's kind of cool. And then the other device that, that came out this week in terms of review, everybody's got their reviews up, is the Apple Watch Series 7. 
Uh, again, I just want to more PSA, let you folks know I've got the link in show notes. I, I mean, look, Apple Watch is definitely the best watch, smartwatch today. I would say Samsung is in second place with their uh, with their uh, Samsung watches. Um, I do like a lot of what Huawei is doing and Honor and some other Chinese makers with these, what I call, um, you know, they're smartwatches that basically have the guts of a, a fitness band but are uh, not, you know, are not really smart watches. They're not smart. They're more like fitness bands on steroid is what I call them, right? Mm -hmm. So those to me are are actually good because the battery life is really long. And for my purposes, I, need, I just need notifications and fitness health tracking and, you know, they last forever and they look cool. They look nice on your wrist. So I tend to like, those are kind of my three big general options that I give people. You know, because Android Wear, obviously, the Samsung watches are based on that now. Wear OS, whatever, the version 2 or whatever. Yeah. Um, but we haven't seen, that's another thing, we haven't seen a pure Wear OS device using this new OS yet. So th that'll be the big unknown. Yeah, that there are. I have so many questions about what Wear OS three is eventually going to look like. Because you're right that that the only Wear OS three devices that are out there at the moment are these heavily skinned Samsung Galaxy watches. That it kind of feels like Samsung begrudgingly put Wear OS on. They kind of like allowed that back end stuff to happen, but they kind right. of kept it very Samsung up top. So yeah, like what does that thing look like? And the fact that this this collaboration was announced with with a bunch of stuff that was never explicitly promised to be but mm -hmm. which i feel like was implied were exclusive features like uh the spotify uh, with offline listening the uh youtube music app um all, all of these things were kind of announced at the same time in a way that suggested to me at least oh this is going to be wear os3 exclusive and so many of them have kind of subsequently now come to wear os2 watches right. um so what what is Wear OS 3? Yeah, if, exactly. if not these seemingly exclusive features. So yeah, I, I too, I'm really interested. And you know, the other thing that's got me puzzled is I finally set up my, my Watch 4 Classic here. Mm -hmm. And I, I felt like it's weird how it doesn't use the Wear OS app. And it actually goes to the Galaxy Gear or Galaxy Wear app for everything. Like, you know... So what does that mean exactly? Like, how do you manage apps? Like, I haven't played enough to really figure it out because I kind of want to put Android Pay or Google Pay on there. And I'm mm. pretty sure I can, but like, how do I sideload the app on there? Because, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. so what I want to do is actually install Android Wear, the app on my, I'm using an Oppo Find X3 Pro right now as my main phone, put that on there and see if it'll talk to it and then if it does, I can install the app that way because the app management that Samsung gives you in their app seems to be very basic. Like you don't get access to the app store-ish that you used to with Wear 2. Mm. I know it's it, it's it's strange. And you know, when I when I spoke to Samsung about this at the launch event, uh, there were kind of a lot, a lot of questions I asked that that just got the answer TBD. Uh, and I think for you know, most people, the, the, the big question was Google Assistant. Um, because obviously that that you know it's it's running Samsung's um, Bixby, right? Um, and then and then like Samsung Pay versus Google Pay, I think I think officially only Samsung Pay is supported. Please don't quote me on that. Um, but yeah, so it's a very like it's a very Wear OS smartwatch on Samsung's own terms, 
Yeah. And it's a very it's a very interesting business arrangement that they've they've reached. And I kind of I don't quite know who's really <laughs> won out of that arrangement, you know? Right. And speaking of Apple, uh, we talked about the Unleashed event. That's what it's going to be called next week. So I'm going to see new MacBooks. What do you think we're going to get? Uh, M1X, M2? What, what's the chip oh, we're going to get? Uh, so, I mean, Bloomberg's Mark Gurman seems to be, uh, you know, it, it, even he doesn't know the, the, the final naming, it seems like, from what he's what he's talking about publicly. But the, the rumor has been M1X for the longest time. You know, that appeared as like a tag in one of Apple's official WWDC YouTube okay. videos. So I think probably on balance m1x um man i'm i'm so excited about everything that's rumored um you got the the, the 14 inch uh macbook that's been rumored forever yeah uh and then a 16 inch and the big thing there is 100 well mini led displays oh yeah um, a, a rumor just in the last couple of days that those could be 120 hertz oh my god um that then all, all the stuff about you know could we see the return of an sd card slot an hdmi port like all this stuff that's just disappeared from from macbooks over these all those fan favorite features i kind of i almost don't want to i don't want to believe because it almost sounds you too don't want to jinx true, it you know? i know exactly totally. yeah but it feels like last year apple updated the internals of its macbooks and we and we finally got you know that generational leap in computing performance and this year if the rumors are accurate we might get that that leap in just quality of life stuff yeah you know and like finally get a better webcam and ports and sorry the return to the 15 inch macbook pro from before but with a 16 inch now and can you imagine if it had hdmi and sd and like had no touch bar Oh, oh, I know, oh, I know, just, right? Just like, honestly, like as someone that is, and yeah. then of course an M1X because I'm on a MacBook Air M1 right now as we speak here as I'm traveling, and I love it. But um, I came from a 12-inch MacBook as my travel laptop for many years, and of course it was a little underpowered. But I lived with it. I learned to manage it, and this MacBook Air M1 is a huge improvement. But I do want to go back to something lightweight. So for me, I'm probably not going to buy the Pros, even though I'm going to be very tempted to. But what mm. I will probably do is buy whatever ultra thin, ultra light Apple does next if they make one, based on, of yeah. course, the M series chips. I uh, I and I, I definitely think uh, it now is the time if if there ever was one to get a smaller MacBook because Apple's just been doing such a great job at building out that dual screen ecosystem. You know, you can already yeah. with Sidecar have, have an iPad as your secondary display, and then I actually I, I'm blanking on the name of the initiative, but is, is it Universal Control? Is that maybe what it's called? Yeah, um, sounds familiar. Yeah, which which it sounds like might actually not make it with uh, the latest version of macOS when that eventually does ship. Um, but you know. It's 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 a great it's a great way to use a smaller a smaller laptop if you can have that that secondary display. Yeah. Um and then obviously the the final thing. Well, there are rumors of a new, of new AirPods, which I think are probably the least interesting thing here. Yeah. But I really want the rumored Mac Mini redesign. Uh I'm in the market for yes. it. Um but I mean, it, I, if if you want to go through the the, the rumors about it, because can you imagine <laughs> yeah. if they make it the size of an Apple TV? Oh. Uh, like just just amazing well an apple tv but with big enough for like all the ports all the that ports. are apparently coming yeah, yeah, back yeah because you know that, that that mac mini last year was was so i mean it's got the m1 obviously but the the port decisions that they made were uh unfortunate yeah, i would say not enough usb ports for sure yeah exactly i mean you know i i, I can't speak for you but certainly just my standard work setup is 
four USB Type A ports at a minimum. Uh, yeah. Keyboard, mouse, webcam, microphone. You know, and that that's 100%. just non-negotiable. Yeah. And then you kind of want like two or three more just for inevitably when you're just like plugging in random crap throughout the course of the day. And just to not even hit that bar was, um, I mean, it, yeah, I, I think it's it's first generation difficulties with, with the M series chips. Sure, I mean, I, I hope it wasn't an intentional choice, you know? No, I, I really don't feel like it was. Um, my personal thing I'm looking forward to won't happen on the 18th, but it's uh, a, the 27 iMac refresh. You know, yes, I yes. want it so bad um, because I, I went I went from Mac mini to iMac and uh, primarily because I just it was just more cost effective because I was getting a 5K display. Um, but now I kind of like the iMac and I might want to stick around with the iMac, but I need I need an update. I have a three or four year old now 27 inch Core i5 and it's so sluggish now. Like I just need something better. And my M1 little MacBook carrier just runs circle around it and I just need something mm. better. So when they come up with a ideally 30 inch Mac iMac, I'll wow, be okay. Yeah, I'll be there. The the like the industrial design of those things is just I I think I but between the kind of the, the square off edges on all the new uh, iPads and iPhones and now iMac, I think I I think Apple's found a really nice post Johnny Ive groove that it's gone into. It's 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 great. I love the new iMac. I know a lot of people are not on board with the chin, but I understand why they did it both on a technical level but also on an aesthetic level. It's a kind of family continuity of the Ma- of the iMac brand and design language mm. and uh I love it. I think it's gorgeous. I want something like that. Uh, even maybe more streamlined as a as a iMac 27 or 30 or whatever. But speaking of Apple, the last thing we have from Apple here, some intrepid modder put a Type-C port on an iPhone 10 or iPhone X. And uh, wow, like <laughs> that, you know, as you, I'm not sure you know, John, but I'm, uh, you know, my background's electrical engineering and I made video games for a long time before I was tech journalist. So I'm pretty technically inclined. I've done a lot of modding. Actually, when I started blogging, it was just for hobby. And I was, it was a netbook era and I was constantly modding netbooks and adding features to them that were kind of seemed impossible to do. And I got covered by Engadget back then and Gizmodo a lot. That's how I ended up getting a job offered by the folks at Engadget who now run The Verge, you know, Neil I and the gang. And so that's how I became a tech journalist, right? But I'm appreciating when I see a good mod, and this is way beyond my pay grade, like my skill level, like engineering a custom ribbon cable PCB and reverse engineering chips, like, wow. I, and then, I mean, so I, I but before coming along, I kind of, I read through the, um, the, the kind of description of what he'd done and it completely lost me. So I kind like, it's so, so outside of my realm of expertise. What I will say though is it is very clean. It is very you good. Just, you look at that thing and you're like, has he had to expand the lightning port? Has he had to change the, the chassis at all? Because it looks it looks almost professional. It's yeah. it's really and you know the fact that it does both charging and data transfer. Yeah. Um yeah, I, I kind of I can't wait to see this this longer video that he's apparently putting together about about how he pulled it off. For sure. So yeah. I'll link to that, folks. And then uh, we got a couple of news items I want to touch on quickly. Realme launched a new GT series phone called the GT Neo 2. 
And the only really thing you have to kind of take away from that, if you remember the Realme GT had a Snapdragon 888 and was about 500, less than 500 US dollars, 450 or so. It was the most affordable Snapdragon 888 phone on the market when it came out in June, I wanna say. Uh, this GT Neo 2 is kind of the same idea but with a Snapdragon 870 and a much larger battery because it's for India. And, uh, you know, I kind of love that Realme's become the OnePlus of the BBK brand, what it used to be, like the super affordable, you know, like premium mid-range slash affordable flagship. Um, you know, I like it. I like what they're doing. And I don't know if you've used a Realme phone recently, but it's very similar to using an Oppo or BB, BBK group phone in general. It It's actually a very, in the same way as ColorOS has gotten really good, I think, um, Realme's OS, whatever they call it, is is really much a parallel experience of that now. Mm, I like, I just... I just think this look, thing looks like uh, a Lamborghini of a phone. You know, it looks with, the, with, cool. that, with that go fast stripe on the back and like that yeah. bright green color. It just, yeah, yeah. I, I think some, Realme's got something going on with the GT. So check it out, folks. Check out the specs there. Um, you'll see it's basically just a slightly tweak on this previous phone. The cameras are the same. It's a little bigger, I think, to combine the bigger battery and the screen is bigger too much. Uh, and then there's a Nokia G three hundred that was announced for the US. Um, it's another one of those $200 5G phones with a Snapdragon 480 5G. And, you know, I'm not nearly as excited about this as I was about the N200 simply because Nokia has not been the best at spec price ratio, at least in the US. And also, you know, they haven't held up to their, you know, uh, commitment of updating their software as regularly as they could. So... I'm not saying you shouldn't buy this for the kind of attended audience. This is going to be sold on Straight Talk and TrackPhone, which are US prepaid carriers. It's going to be perfectly fine. If that's what you want, get it. But I feel like you can do better. Like I would say, you know, cross cross shop with the OnePlus and, and maybe even a, a Moto G because the Gs are always on sale in some way or another here. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's... um. I mean, it, it is it is almost a shame, but also just a quite a nice side of the progress about just how boring five G is now. You know, <laughs> that the, the, you can buy such a cheap phone, and it's it is it's got five G in there, and you get it, and like the 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 Qualcomm tech demos of like Androids coming to life and driving you know five G connected cars around doesn't happen. Um, so like, I get I guess this is it. I guess this is this is the five G future that we that that we that we were <laughs> promised. And and now, and now we're the here. The boring five G future. What do you have in the UK that's equivalent to that? That is sold in, you know, operator stores. Like that's a a very affordable five G phone that you don't feel like you have to hold back recommending. Yeah, I mean, I th I think there's the uh, well. I mean, I, I so. I haven't reviewed any very affordable 5G phones, so this isn't a personal recommendation, but I believe the like Nokia brought out, I think it was the G50 recently, which is a very right. affordable mm -hmm. 5G phone. Um, but no, I mean, like if we're stepping up to the mid-range, it's, pro it's probably the Nord 2 is, is, is going to be my, my mid-range pick yeah. here, you know? Yeah, it's definitely in a higher price point, but yeah. Exactly. I mean, unfortunately, because because the the five A, uh, yeah, five A never never came out in in the UK. That was what it was US and Japan only. Yeah. Uh, that that would that would probably just about pit it. But um, 
but yeah, the the, the Nord Two is probably probably the one I. Go I think for. in that price range for you folks, you might get the Poco M3 Pro. Mm-hmm. I think that's five G, and then there is a Realme Seven Five G or Realme Eight Five G that are like very competitive, like in US translated from whatever currency, like around 200. And those are MediaTek uh, Dimensity 700 5G. So mm. uh, I think that's a really great chip. Like I actually feel like, I think the 480 is a solid chip. It should actually be a 600 series chip because architecturally it's closer. It's got less in common with the 400, the legacy 4G chips from the 400 series and more in common with the 600 series. But Bang for the buck, I think MediaTek's killing it with the Dimensity 700. If you get a chance to pick up a phone with Dimensity 700, whether you use it as a 5G phone or not, you'll be very impressed at the performance it delivers. Yeah, I, th- I think I think pretty cool. MediaTek has kind of very quietly turned from one of those brands that's a kind of a signifier of budgetness into, I, I think, a kind of an actual competitor with 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 Qualcomm's like mid range up, sure. up to like you know. Up to the seven hundred, even like like snapping at the heels of the eight hundred, it feels like. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty accurate, and I think it's going to get even crazier over time. I think they're. I wouldn't be surprised if we finally get like a a, a true matching performance wise chip from MediaTek within the next two years, hmm. in terms of like Qualcomm. I mean, of course, Qualcomm's not standing still. <laughs> you know, we're gonna get who knows what. The rumor I think is a Snapdragon. Eight nine eight or something. I don't know what they're gonna call it next. I'm not. I'm not sure why they went from, you know, eight six five to eight eight eight, and then now they have the eight seventy, which is an eight six five plus on steroid. Like, yeah. like they've kind of put themselves in a the corner. Where do you go from here? Like eight ninety, eight ninety five, eight ninety eight. It, it, it definitely feels like that they've done that thing that that they've got that corner that everyone that every company gets into eventually where their old naming scheme no longer makes any sense and they need to kind of like just smash that like break glass in case of emergency reset. Are button. we getting a Snapdragon one thousand? Hey, I'd never say never. I know, but it's um yeah I don't know, like there, there's a big opportunity there for Qualcomm I think you know I I don't know if you read the the breakdown when the iPhone thirteen was announced. Yes. About the, uh, the the Apple's basically like ch- in-house chip design team, uh, basically like a lot of key employees leaving, um, kind of go, go into a, a competing uh, chip design company, um, and you know it like if if that report is accurate, it, if if their if their hunches about Apple's uh, chip progress are true, then you know now is that time for Qualcomm to really step in and go like, okay, Apple, you've had your fun. But like it's it's Qualcomm's time to shine now. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. We'll find out soon enough. But um, look, I think this is a very exciting time. I'm still very gung ho between the folding phones, the affordable phones, the budget phones becoming so good, and the you know this kind of battle of the mid range that I see happening. Not so much in the U.S., but in other markets. Um, and then you know other. Companies picking up the torch from like OnePlus, like Realme, by making affordable flagship or premium mid-range phones. And, you know, Pixel coming back as a proper flagship. And, you know, the iPhone 13 might not be perceived by a lot of people as a very exciting update. But anybody who is seriously about photography knows that this is one, especially on the Pro, a serious, serious imaging update. And... uh, I think it's a really fun 
this has been a really fun year this so far for, for me 2021 on phones i i mean it's it's kind of it's sad to say but i i almost suspect that part of the excitement is is that Huawei isn't allowed to be competitive anymore. Yeah. You know, that I that a part of me wonders if, you know, like Huawei were um on on track to be like a, a very significant well, I mean, you know, that they're always in, in the top five global smartphone uh, smartphone manufacturers, but they kind of were really on that trajectory and their cameras were just getting better and better every single year. And the the way the the rug has basically pulled been pulled out from underneath yeah. them. I think it's left a bit of a vacuum there, and I wonder whether uh, their kind of Chinese competitors and, and other competitors around the world. Have I mean, of... Xiaomi is killing it right now, yeah. right? Uh, they they're just. I think they're. I feel like they've taken that spot, you know, in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, John, do you want to tell folks where they can find you on the internet, like your social media handles, and of course, any other URLs other than theverge.com? Oh well, no, no. It it is it is genuinely ju- just just the verge.com where you can find me because I do not want your your listeners checking out my my blog from twenty years ago when I was a teenager. <laughs> twenty years ago, fifteen years ago. But no, I, I'm on Twitter at, at John Porty. So come over and say hi. I am not on Instagram, so stop searching for that and like messing up my Google autocomplete. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, Twitter and the Verge is, is where I'm at. Fantastic, and folks, you should definitely follow John on Twitter. And uh, you know where to find me on the internet. I'm at Tank Girl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L. Just like the comic book character Tank Girl, but without the vowels. That's both on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to discuss this show with me and John, hit us up on Twitter and ask us questions. You know, tell us what you think of all this stuff we just talked about. You know that there is a couple of YouTube channels for this podcast that are like visual content to go with the show. There's youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast, which is the main channel, has unboxing videos primarily of the phones I get. And that way you can look at them while you listen to the podcast. You don't have to listen to me rambling about them on the video if you don't want to. And then uh, we have youtube.com slash mobile tech more. My producer and I have been toying with this channel, not quite sure where to take it, but we need subscribers to reach a thousand counts so we can monetize anyway. So just subscribe if you get a chance. But basically it's gonna be like all the the meta tech around mobile. So think of like travel tech, car tech, accessories, you know, all the cool stuff that doesn't neatly fit into what I consider my core, which is like phones and audio, personal audio. I'm big on that, as you all know. So check it out, subscribe, like, click the notification bell, tell your friends, comment in the comments, tell me what you think. I'd love to hear it all. The podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. There's an RSS feed there if you want to use a, that way of doing podcast subscription. But obviously, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Spotify, we're everywhere. So please subscribe, tell your friends. And if your app lets you rate the show or review the show, please consider doing that. That way it helps with people finding and discovering the show. You know, if you have uh, just followed John here because you've never listened before, you know, click that subscribe button. That would really help. I also want to say that I have a Patreon, so patreon.com slash tankgirl. That's patreon.com slash T-N-K-G-R-L. If you want to watch this podcast on video instead of listening to it, and you kind of want it raw without any edits, 
you know, just the beginning to the end, nothing too fancy. I will be posting that on a special Patreon post, but you have to be a member. So there's a bunch of different tiers. There's also a Discord server you can uh, chat with me at. Check it out, patreon.com slash tnkgrl. I'd appreciate your patronage. And I want to thank Nick J today for being a patron this week. So thanks so much for helping out. And if you don't like Patreon, I get it. You know, there's another way you can donate. There's a link to a PayPal button in the show notes. You click on that, make a donation, helps support me because this is kind of like a little bit of a, a passion of me to do this podcast. You know, I don't make a huge amount of income through it. So any help you can bring would be welcome. And then I want to thank Audible, who's been our sponsor forever. They're wonderful. We really like to have them on board. Audible.com is the place for audiobooks. And we have a special deal for you. If you want to get a 30-day free trial and get keep a book at the end if you don't stay or whether you stay or not, check it out, audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. That's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. If you, like me, like to read, but sometimes you just want to listen instead of read with your eyes and listen with your ears because you're tired or you're driving or whatever it might be, Audible's got you covered. They have a great selection of books. There's some short-form content there as well, podcasts even. So check it out. Great books read by the authors sometimes, which I really love. It's, it's fun. You know, it's good. You can listen for two hours, put it down kind of like you would a book, virtually speaking, and then pick it up again. It's not like this podcast experience where it's all done in an hour. So check out Audible, audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. And I want to thank Audible again for being our longtime sponsor. And John, thanks for being on the show. It was awesome to have you. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I will definitely have you on again in the future. And folks, you know that we'll have a show next week. So stay tuned for that. And until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.